0: All right. Well, again, welcome. Glad to have you here with us today. If you're a guest with us today, I remind you we have uh, some stuff back here at their Connect Center for you. There's a book back there called The God Questions. It's free for you to take home. We've found it to be a, a really good little uh, resource that takes a biblical approach to kind of some of the hard questions that we face in uh, life today. And I'd love you to take that home. Uh, a couple of other small things there. You'll see them around uh, the coffee station back here. And then uh, we would love to know that you're with us. Uh, so you can either drop a connect card from the, the table back there. There's some on this table as well, next to our offering box, which is right there behind where Brock is seated. And uh, fill that out. Just at least give us a name and an email address. Uh, I would love to email you. Just uh, say hello and thank you for being here. And uh, you can also do that online, c3ak.com/hello, and you can fill out the same card. But uh, we we don't want to bother you, but we would love to pray for you as you're looking for a church home, and you've given us the opportunity this morning to to minister to you. And then uh, this is the last Sunday of the month, and this happens to be a fifth Sunday month, which in church life is weird. Fifth Sundays are weird. Uh, But we have uh, the celebration of communion on our fifth Sundays, and so we'll do that here in just a bit. And then on our last Sundays of the month, we also don't provide uh, children's church on those Sundays. We uh, want to encourage our families to be together here in the worship center with their kids uh, so that as they're growing in the church, they know that this is also a place for them to be, and they're not, they're not always just separated off into something else where it's just kids ministry or student ministry. And so uh, next week, first three weeks of February, we'll have a children's ministry available during the worship service. And the way that looks is our children are welcome with us. Children are welcome in here all the time. Uh, If you like to have your kids with you, that's totally up to you. Um, If we're going to talk about something that might be tougher or not kid-friendly, so to speak, we'll let you know ahead of time. We won't spring anything on you like that. Uh, But our normal practice is the the children stay with us through the worship time, just like we just did, and right now we would have some... uh, stuff special just for them with some teachers that they could go to. So if you come back in the next few weeks, uh, the next three weeks of February, we'll have that uh, ministry available, and that's our normal way of doing stuff, okay? All right, so let's talk about prayer. Uh, We're going to be back in the book of Matthew today. I think I mentioned last week, I think it was last week, Matthew chapter 6 is kind of at the tail end of, or still part of, it's kind of hard to tell exactly how this is working out what we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's where, at the beginning of that, we have this text, very famous, called the Beatitudes. Uh, For some of us old folks, way back in the day, Robert Shuler, the Crystal Cathedral out of California, had a a book that he put out called the Beatitudes, that were based on the Beatitudes. Um, Clever, um, also not terribly biblical, (laughs) but uh, useful in some ways. Um, and we have taught through this passage in Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7 many, many times because it's so rich and there's so much to mine out of this, but today we're just going to use the text around what we call the the Lord's Prayer, and then we're going to look at the text specifically of the Lord's Prayer and talk about, because we talked about Uh, Three kinds of unanswered prayer two weeks ago. These are all available on our podcast, by the way. Three kinds of unanswered prayer with a sort of fourth one thrown in there. Last week we talked about, um, what did we talk about last week? I just had it in my head and it just escaped. Praying for others, right? Why do we pray for others? There were three items in that with another one kind of tacked onto the side. Uh, This one, today's outline is just simply the Lord's Prayer. We're going to talk about what it says, what Jesus said, and how it relates to how we can pray for ourselves. Because while we spe- we want to, we want to emphasize that prayer is not always about us, the fact remains that sometimes it is about us. We see this example in the scriptures. We see it in the example of Jesus himself, right in the garden, right before he's arrested and punished and crucified. He is praying to Father God all about himself and his mission. Even to the point of saying, I know this terrible thing lays ahead of me. If there's any other way, let me know. But if not, I will do what you will me to do. And so we see this example, we see it in the Old Testament with some of the prophets praying for themselves and their circumstances as well as praying for others. So I didn't want to leave this little three week mini series on prayer with the impression that we never pray for ourselves. Because we do, and we should, and God wants us to, but not in the way that the video demonstrated to us this morning, where we approach God like he's a cosmic vending machine. And I, the one that I, what I do when I find videos like that is I watch them, and I kind of try to pick them apart and go, is there anything in here that makes me uh, feel uncomfortable? Is there anything that raises a, a little yellow flag? They go, eh, I don't like the way that's presented. The thing that clicked for me on this one was the guy who wanted, I think it was success, and how he started out blessing God before he slipped in what he wanted, and then at the end talked about how he wanted his success so that he would be glorified in all things, so that I will be glorified in all things. That was the one that clicked it for me and said, yep, yeah, this, this gets right to the heart of the matter of when we're praying for ourselves. Because even when we pray for ourselves, whether it's for a need that we have, a decision that we need to make, a circumstance we're embroiled in that's difficult, or our future, or the ministry of God that he wants us to have, the focus always must return to and be rooted in the worship of God. We pray for ourselves, yes, because we want To see God move in a specific way in our lives, but our goal should be that as God does whatever he does, right? That we talked about unanswered prayer, that's a myth, right? There's no such thing as an unanswered prayer. Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is different than what we would like it to be. Sometimes it's different in a good way of something we didn't understand or couldn't see, and God brings that to bear, But the end result should be that whatever God does, as we submit to him as God, that the aftermath of his answer to whatever prayer we're offering is that we glorify him, that he is God, that he is sovereign, and that he is good, and that he's looking out for our well-being. All right, so go with me. Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read some of the stuff that comes before this just to kind of lay the foundation here. I don't know if you have if you have something like mine. This is the ESV that we use here, by the way. I have these head, these little headers that kind of have the topics laid out. Yours might be slightly different. Just prior to this, Jesus is teaching. He's teaching about anger, about lust, about divorce, about oaths, um, contracts, about retaliation, about loving your enemies. And right here in chapter six, he starts talking about giving to the needy. And I wanted to include this because it has the the underpinnings, the foundation of what could be wrong in the way that sometimes we choose to pray. All right, so here it goes. Verse 1, chapter 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, there's a foundational truth in what Jesus is saying here that applies then across all of the rest of the instruction that we receive about prayer and what we see in the examples of prayer in the scriptures and that is that if our if our desire in our praying is that we be glorified like the guy in the video even if what we're asking for comes to pass which will likely not be by the hand of god it just comes to pass and we are enthralled with our own glory he says that you have received everything you're going to receive. If you clamor after and seek after the approval and the praise of the people around you or the people of the world, and you get it, that's your motive. That is all the reward you will receive. Now contrast that with, if I'm submitted to Christ and I'm pursuing his glory, And I am somehow noticed by the people around me or somehow not through actions of my own. I didn't plan it. I didn't seek it. I wasn't looking for it. I'm somehow pointed out or, uh, you know, I get famous or something like that. If at the center of that is still my intent and my actions to glorify God, the implication here is that God has further blessing for you in that thing that's happening. It doesn't mean that achieving something or doing something or becoming something is inherently bad. It all comes back to the intent of the heart. We see this in the book of Samuel when David is being chosen as king, where it says, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. It doesn't, I know this talks about doing it in secret, and there's a specific thing about giving, about not being proud or, or whatever with your giving. And this goes back to <clears throat> the practice in the synagogue was like we have the offering box over there. In the synagogue, the offering box would be right here. And it would be a, a, quite a show of those who had money to come in and, and drop a heavy bag so it was noisy or drop many coins so people would just know that they were, they were fat and rich and given lots of money. And so there's this idea of doing it in secret where no one knows how you're giving. That's one of the reasons why, like Pastor Jason and I, when it comes to church giving, we don't know who gives anything. And if you tell us, then we know, right, obviously. And that happens sometimes. But it's, we don't look at the records. We don't keep track of who's giving what. We, we don't do that because we don't want to know that. We want you to be able to fulfill your uh, command here to, to, to give in secret, so that your father who sees you in secret will reward you. We want to honor that. But it might even still be, there's a story in Luke called the, the, the publican and the tax collector. And those two people in that story, there's a basically a legislator, a political guy who's well-known, very famous, lots of power, lots of authority, and a tax collector who was the lowest of the low in Jewish society because it's a Jewish person who's working for the Roman government to collect taxes on behalf of the Roman government from his Jewish neighbors and give out punishments when people are behind on their taxes. So you can imagine how low on the, the rungs that person would be in that society. And Jesus tells the story of the two coming together on a street corner And the guy who has all the authority and all the money and all all that kind of stuff says, Oh, God, look at me, how great I am. Thank God I'm not like that guy over there. And then the tax collector stands on the side of the, the road at the street corner and bows his head in shame and says, Oh, God, have mercy on me. I'm a terrible sinner. And Jesus says, God honors one of these prayers and pretty much ignores the other. And the difference between those two is one seeks to glorify themselves, and the other knows their place before a holy God and calls out to God for mercy because when God shows mercy, who's glorified? God is. So we see all of that wrapped up in this same idea of this passage that's happening. So Jesus talks about giving and about not being a hypocrite, not doing it in public so that people will praise you. And then he he moves right into talking about prayer. And he says this, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. What's the reward that they received? Right? The the publicity, right? Being noticed. Like, oh, that was a great prayer. That was, oh, you pray a lot. You pray really. Whatever. However, that works out. It's not the action they're taking, it's the reason for the action they're taking, right? He says, don't be like the hypocrites who pray and stand up in synagogue for the purpose of being noticed. So we're going to work quickly through that here in just a couple of moments. These warnings about being hypocritical, this is really the entire context of the Sermon on the Mount. Because over and over, Jesus says, in your community, people say you should be like this. But in the kingdom of God, I'm telling you, you really should be like this. People say you should... Speak this way, but I'm telling you, you should speak this way in the kingdom of God. You should treat your neighbor like this, your community says, but in the kingdom of God, this is how you treat the members of your community. And all of that circles back to that fundamental idea that as we do that, as we love our enemies, as we treat one another justly and righteously in the midst of sometimes being angry, as we deal with those who suffer through things like divorce and and disaster, and we treat them with grace and mercy, what we're doing is we are showing the very heart of God. And when we do that, it's impossible to be proud and hypocritical, my friends. But when we do it for our own gain, not only do we not really help others, but we're doing nothing for ourselves. So he says, pray then like this— Now, sometimes people treat this like a formula. You're welcome to do that. I don't think it's a formula where every prayer has to conform to this pattern necessarily, but it's not a bad pattern. It's not a bad practice to use because it frames things very well in how we should pray. And the first is, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now this is not saying I hope that your name will be holy. This is an acknowledgement. All right, so that's number one, an acknowledgement that God is holy. His name, what does the Bible say? Is above every other name. Right. There is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved but the name of God, Jesus Christ Himself. It is the name that is known among all the nations that we see in the Old Testament. When the Israelites come to them and try to make uh, contracts with them, and sometimes when they come at war, everyone knows the name of Jehovah because he goes before his people in those circumstances, and they know his people. So we're not, when we say this, something like this God, you are great, God, you are good, God, you are holy. We're not telling anything new. We are acknowledging truth that already exists. And there's value in that. There's power in us reminding ourselves that in this conversation, who is the Holy One? And it's God. So that's one acknowledging that God is holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. As it is in heaven. This is a this is a desire. This is an acknowledgement of what God's purpose is. Jesus has just talked about over and over and over again. He said, you have heard it said such and such and such and such. But I tell you, in the kingdom of heaven, it's like this. Uh, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's, it's as close as the hand on the end of your arm. And if you have eyes to see it and ears to hear it, you can see and move and live in the kingdom of God on earth because it's right next to us. There's a veil of this life. There's a veil of this existence that hides it from us, but it's there, Jesus says. And in this life, in this earth, as you go through your life in your community, and your society, if you're a believer, you can live as if you're in the kingdom of God now. Now, we might ask the question, of what is the kingdom of God? I love Dallas Willard's definition of this. I think I gave it here in the last couple of weeks. The kingdom of God is where what God wants done is done. So think about that. In your life. As you're living as a Christian, if you are doing what God has called you to do or the tasks that he's put before you, Ephesians 2, chapter uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses like 9 and 10, uh, he, has, he has saved us for the purpose of doing good works that he planned for us even before the foundation of the universe. So if you're busy about that work that God has for you, guess what you're doing? You are are manifesting the kingdom of God because what God wants done in your life is being done. That means the kingdom of God is right with you. You're in it. Everywhere that what God wants done is done is the kingdom of God. Thy kingdom come to earth. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. How is God's will done in heaven, do you suppose? Does God ever give a command or express a desire in heaven and it goes unfulfilled by those around him? I don't think so. So the desire here is acknowledge that God is holy and then desire to live in his kingdom right now. Desire that just as his will is done in heaven, it would be done on earth. Number 11, verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Now, this is an interesting one because we just talked in the last couple of weeks about how Jesus said, don't be anxious about anything, what you should eat, what you should wear, because your Father, who is good and in heaven, knows that you need these things, and he will give them to you. And then Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. Those seem to be at opposites with each other. But here's the difference. There is no sin, there's no crime in praying for what we need, what we desire each day. In fact, Jesus says, pray for it, so we should in that other passage where he talked about what we eat, what we wear, he didn't say don't pray about it. What did he say? Don't be worried, right? Don't be anxious about it. Why would he say that? If, 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 if things are hard, like you can't buy eggs, right? Should we be worried about that tomorrow? Depends. If you have a restaurant, you might be worried about that tomorrow. I think about all of our friends who are in those kinds of businesses and what a tough time it's sure been the last couple of years and it just gets weirder sometimes by the day. But still, should we be anxious about that? Where is our faith? Where is our trust? Who do we trust in? Because what he says here is that we acknowledge that what God gives us every day is what we need. That's a hard one. Because sometimes it doesn't feel that way. Make no mistake, there's an enemy who wants to mess it all up, right? He wants to get in and and mess with everything that God wants to do that's good. But still, where is our one refuge? Where is our one place to put our trust? So we acknowledge that God is holy. We desire and work towards his kingdom being present in our lives today. And we trust him and seek him for whatever we need for every day. And you can take that bread in this passage to be literal bread or metaphoric bread. Because Jesus, remember, when he, when he faced the devil in the desert and the devil said, you, I know you're hungry. You could turn that rock into some bread and have some food. What did Jesus say? Man doesn't live by bread alone by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So what is he saying here? Acknowledge that God is holy. Live. Move towards. Desire that God's kingdom be present in your life and you're working in it. Trust him for whatever you need for the day. Trust him. In verse 12, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven Our debtors. Right? Yeah, Mike gets it. Forgive me in the same way I have forgiven others. Think about that for a moment. We're going to circle back to that in just a moment because Jesus doesn't leave this item alone. Of all the things he mentions in the Lord's Prayer, he circles back to one, and it's this one. So what is he saying there? It's it's something he wants us to be disciplined in, which is that we should really be forgiving others. I know it's hard. I know sometimes, let's be honest, people don't deserve it, but did you deserve God's forgiveness to you? I sure didn't. So forgive us, God, as we forgive others. Now... It could just be a trade-off here, but there's actually, in this language, there's some action in the original language. It's literally saying, in a positive fashion, I'm going to forgive others, and so I will be forgiven. There's passages to talk about if if two, you know, if a brother and a sister in, in Christ have something against each other, they should resolve that because it's messing with their relationship with one another and their relationship with God. In the, in the sermon on unanswered prayer, we talked about sometimes prayer is unanswered because we're, we're separated from God by our sin. And we have to resolve that so that we can be reconnected. So this is really a positive that's saying, acknowledge that God is holy, seek to live and desire his kingdom to be present in our lives today, trust him for everything that we need for every day, and then expect to be a forgiving person. Because you have been forgiven. And then finally, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, the Bible says that God tempts no one. So this seems like an odd thing to say. Uh, The Bible says, let no one say that God tempts people. Certainly, he does not draw people towards sin, right? He's, He's going in the opposite direction. But this is another acknowledgement that were it possible, God is sovereign over everything. And the cry here is, God, protect me from the things that might tempt me. Let me not fall into the trap. Paul called it the sin that so easily entangles our feet and causes us to trip on the way. Keep me from that and instead deliver us, deliver us from evil. So acknowledge that God is holy. Seek and desire and work towards his kingdom here on earth in your life. Trust him for every single thing, for every single day. Forgive others because you have been forgiven. And then seek God to lead you in paths of righteousness, the psalmist called it, so that you will not fall prey to evil. And then finally, verse 14. I told you he was coming back to you. He says, for if you forgive others their trespasses. I, I imagine that as Jesus is giving this, he's talking and he's, and you know, went much faster than what has happened here right now because I'm talking a whole bunch. Just went right through. Forgive us, our, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And there's people going. So Jesus comes right back around to it. He just comes right back. He says, look, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. That seems pretty cut and dry. That if we want to be in right relationship with God, we must be people who are forgiving. I've done sermons on just forgiveness and how we talk about that does not give people permission to to abuse you. That does not give people permission to walk all over you. You don't have to welcome toxic stuff back into your life. Sometimes forgiveness is not really about the other person. It's about what's happening in you. Do you want to carry that bitterness in you or do you want to let it go? And it benefits them in no way. This is easily demonstrated because if you've been harmed or hurt by someone who is no longer living, how could forgiveness be extended to them for their benefit? And yet we're called to do that so that we can be well. And when it says here that your father will not forgive your trespasses, it's not necessarily that as you make mistakes and sin that that God's going, well, that one's hanging on your head right now. I can't do anything about that. What he's really saying is that if you can't be forgiving, you will continue to bear the burden, the weight of unforgiveness. You will not experience the joy of being forgiven because you don't know what it's like to forgive somebody else. As we come to the table today, I want you to carry these thoughts with you. Acknowledge that God is holy. Ask him to give you opportunity to fulfill his kingdom on earth and then commit yourself to work in it, to live in it, to do it, to be it. Give him thanks today for everything that he's given you and trust him for what he has for you in this day and the days to follow. If you have something you need to forgive and let go, this is a great time to do it as we remember the sacrifice of Christ who forgave us of everything. And then desire to follow the righteous steps of God that lead you away from that which is evil and to that which is right.